If this is your uh, first time at River Ridge, welcome, glad that you're here. Uh, or if you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, I want to catch up to date. We are in a sermon series which is called Seven Questions. And over the course of this series, we're looking at seven questions that Jesus asked people. And so the first one, Jesus asked the question, why are you so afraid or why are you afraid? And we talked about how do we deal with our fears and how does God help us to deal with our fears? And then last week, the question is, who do you say that I am? And Jesus asked that question. And we talked about the fact that that is the most important question that can ever be answered in our lives. Because how we answer that question of who do you say that I am has implications for our eternity and implications for our life here on earth. And when Jesus asks a question, it's interesting when he asks a question because Jesus is God, and so he already knows the answer to the question, but yet he asks it anyway. And so whenever Jesus asks a question, we want to kind of listen in and, and also answer that question ourselves because Jesus asked the question because he wants us to wrestle with the answer. And so this morning, the question that Jesus asks is this, that we're going to look at, is do you believe that I am able to do this? And I think that the message this morning has the potential to be a breakthrough message for some of you. That if you're at that point where you're kind of wrestling a little bit with faith and the movement of God and faith and when God does move and doesn't move, I think this is going to hit you right where you need this morning. And, and I would also say for some of you, you're here this morning and you just need a touch of God. You want and desire the movement of God in your life. And I think what God is going to say to you is going to help you if that's where you're at this morning. That you're facing something in your own life that you just can't get over on your own and you want God to come through. Or maybe you've been praying for something and it just doesn't seem like God is answering or answering quickly enough or answering the way that you want. I think you're going to find some answers this morning. Or it may be that you're in a circumstance in your life that you want to change. But that circumstance isn't changing. That person that's causing the difficulty isn't changing. You're not changing. And so this morning, I think that God might speak to you about what it is with that circumstance and how he might be working that that you don't see. The question is, do you believe that God can work or affect change? That's what we're going to talk about this morning when he asked that question. Do you believe I'm able to do this? And so this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, if you want to open up a Bible app on your phone, that's great. Uh, if you don't have either of those, uh, the words to most of the scriptures will be behind me on the screen. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9 and just a fantastic story of Jesus and an interaction with a couple of blind men. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look into this passage, as we look into this story, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would help us um, to wrestle with the question that Jesus asked, is do you believe that I am able to do this? God, I pray that you would settle some things in our hearts, settle some things in our minds, uh, and also settle some things in our lives as well. Father, we look forward to what you're going to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. So we're in chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. It says this. It says, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son 
of David. Now, one of the things that if you've been around for the last several months, we've been looking kind of at the context of things and saying, well, how does this help us? What do we learn? So in here, there's a little context clue. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, right? So you're reading this, and you go, well, what is the there? Where exactly was Jesus before this? It's sort of like when it, when it references something that comes before, it's sort of like we asked this a couple times uh, in the book of uh, Romans, is when you see the word therefore, you ask, what is it there for? The same is true when you see something like this, it says, and he passed on from there. So they're intentionally linking it, Matthew is, with whatever came before. And so we look at what came, comes before, and the title in mind, the, the heading in mind says, a girl restored to life and a woman healed. <clears throat> Yours may some, say something different, but what happens in this uh, what comes before is there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She touches the hem of Jesus' cloak, and she's healed. And there's also a little girl who has died, and Jesus brings her back to life. And so we read this, and we, and we go, oh, let's link this to what comes before. And so I think we can look at this, and we say, well, these two blind men who've been blind, and we don't know if they've been blind for life or for a short period of time. We don't know that. But they get word that Jesus has healed a woman who was bleeding for 12 years and raised a girl to life. And so they get to thinking, well, if Jesus did that, then maybe, just maybe, he could heal us. And I love that these two stories are tied together because I do think that one thing happens in life is that when other people act in faith, whenever other people take big steps of faith, that inspires us. And when you take a step of faith, that inspires somebody else. And I think that's what we see happening here. They're like, look what Jesus did for those folks. Maybe Jesus could do that for us as well. And so it says, the two men followed him, and it says, crying aloud. Now, in the original language, the word crying aloud, it's one word. It's the word krazo. And the word krazo or krazo, it basically is a word that we see different places and it means when somebody cries out with great passion. So the, you see this word used in different ways throughout the Bible. One of the ways is when a woman is in childbirth, it says that she cries out in passion. Another descriptive way that this is used is when men are going into battle. They crazo into battle. They cry out. I kind of think about uh, Mel Gibson in Braveheart crying out, freedom, and the passion that he cries out with. We also see this same word used when the crowds are shouting for Jesus to be crucified. It says that they cried out, they crazoed out for him to be crucified. And then on the cross, when Jesus cried out on the cross, it's the same word. And so I, I share that with you because it carries this idea of passionately calling out to something, different ways in different places. But here, it says they cried out, they cried aloud to Jesus. And then it says the words that they, said, they shared. It says, crying aloud, and they said, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, the have mercy on us, that is a sort of a standard um, beggar's line that you would find throughout kind of this period of time. Uh, in other words, in the same way that you might see a sign that somebody who is begging uh, or trying to get handouts here would have a cardboard sign that said, you know, anything helps, God bless, or something like that. That was sort of a standard way to say, have mercy 
on me. And because they were blind, there wasn't like a way for them to work. And so this was all they could do is to beg for money. And so they cried, have mercy on me. Again, common language. But it's the second part of what they say that's unique. Have mercy on us, son of David. And so when they refer to Jesus as son of David, they're not referring to him in just sort of a genealogy sort of way. He's, you know, he's the great, 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 great grandson, or how many greats are in there, of David. What they're saying is, you are the son of David. We recognize you as Messiah. We talked about this a little bit last week, that word Messiah. We recognize you as the Christ, as the one who comes to change and to heal. And so they go to him in that, son of David, have mercy on us. And then just one other thing to observe in this verse. Um, I love the fact that there's two of them. Uh, and Jesus heals a lot of people where there's just one. But I just, I love the fact that there's two blind men. Because I know that for me, and I think for a lot of us, when we have somebody that we're kind of tag-teaming and doing something for God, it just helps to have somebody with us, whether it's somebody that we're asking to pray with us or to step out in faith or to go on a mission trip or to, to serve with us or whenever we're stepping out in faith, doing it with somebody else just makes it more enjoyable and kind of going after it together. So then it says this in verse 28. It says, When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this. Now, I want you to notice their persistence. It says, when he, that's Jesus, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. Now, it doesn't say whose house it was. It probably didn't belong to the blind man. It was somebody's house that Jesus was staying. But here these two guys go with persistence, following after Jesus. He, was, he walks in the house, and they walk into somebody's house that they don't even know, continue to cry out, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. I love their persistence. And then Jesus responds with the question that we're talking about. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to heal you of your blindness? And their answer is a resounding yes. They say, yes, Lord. As we look at this question... And as we wrestle with this question, Jesus says, do you believe that I am able to do this, right? He knows, and they know, that he's referring to heal them from their blindness. But I actually like the fact that as he asks the question, there's just the this is, is a pronoun referring to what they know. But I would challenge you and ask you the same question. I've put it on your outline. Is do you believe that, believe that I am able to do blank? What would you put in that blank for you? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you, ever, do you believe that I'm able to do blank? What is it that you would like God to do for you? What is it that goes in the blank that you would like Jesus to do for you? And imagine him asking that question to you. Do you believe that I am able to rescue your marriage? Do you believe that I am able to heal your body? Do you believe that I am able to bring your prodigal child back to faith? Do you believe that I am able to rescue you from your addiction? Do you believe that I am able to change the way that you view 
yourself? Do you believe that I am able to allow you to have a child? Do you believe that I am? What would go in that blank for you? And these blind men, they respond with a resounding, yes, Lord. So here's what Jesus does. Verse 29 says, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Jesus does a miracle. Imagine how much their lives change. They're going to be able to see a sunrise and a sunset. They're going to be able to see joy in a child's face. They're going to be able to see tears when somebody goes through pain. They're going to be able to see when they walk across the street and not get run over by a donkey cart. They're going to be able to have a job. And if they can have a job, then they can get married and have kids. Think about how much their lives changed because of the touch of Jesus in their lives. Jesus says, according to your faith, be it done to you. Here's what I want to understand. Here's the big idea that I want us to see in here. The reason that they were healed was because of the object of their faith. The object of their faith was Jesus. They had faith, but it wasn't the amount of faith that they had. It wasn't that. It was the object of their faith. Because sometimes in life, and, and, and here's, here's kind of this idea that, that sometimes in life we think that faith is about how much faith we have. But the big idea I want us to understand is faith is not about the amount of faith. It's about the object of our faith. I want to share with you a, a story from my childhood to illustrate this. So I grew up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, in this really cool house. Had a really long driveway. And then when you got to the end of the driveway, there was a courtyard, a brick courtyard with walls that were probably, I don't know, 8 or 10 feet high. And on the left was the house that we lived in. And in front of you was uh, a studio building that my dad did pottery in. And then to the right was this kind of multi-use building. There was a three-car garage. There was kind of a barn on the bottom floor. There was an apartment on the top floor. And then over the garage, there was this sort of attic barn kind of place. And so as a kid, it was an amazing place to play, like all kinds of trouble to get into. Um, so one day I'm up there with my friend Winthrop, and uh, we're on the top area that's kind of like a barn, sort of top of barn, attic sort of place. Rafters and, and wood floor and a lot of dust. And we find that there's a trap door there. And so we pull this door open, and we're looking down into kind of the barn part of this building. And it's maybe, oh, I don't know, it's, I guess it's probably 10 feet down. And we're like, wouldn't it be amazing to like have a fire pole, like firemen get down in a, in a firehouse to get down there, like, let's do it. And so, because we have this idea because there's some poles there. So there's these like, I don't know, three or four foot poles. And so we take some poles and we tie them together with some rope that's in there. And we string, I don't know, four or five of these things together. And we've got it tied to the rafters up on the top and a pole to slide down. I mean, this is a kid's dream come true. And we're so excited. We're like, this is going to be awesome. We can be firemen. You can see where the story is going, right? 
And so, like, we, I mean, we're 10 years old, 8 years old, and we're like, this is going to be awesome. I'm like, all right, Winthrop, you yell fire, and I'll hit the fire pole, right? So he goes, fire! And I jump on the pole to slide down, and the entire thing just collapses in a heap. The whole thing falls on top of me. I'm, you know, cut and bruised up. No hospital visits, no telling mom what we actually did sort of thing going on. But here's the thing. I had so much confidence like, I had all the faith in the world that this pole was going to hold us up. But it didn't hold me up, not for a moment, right? I had all the faith, but my faith was in an object that couldn't deliver. Now, let me share another story that comes with a picture, right? So this is the, the Sears Tower. It's not called the Sears Tower anymore. It's called something else. Um, but here's a picture of what's called the sky deck at the Sears Tower, right? And as you look at that, some of you guys are just getting queasy looking at that, right? But basically, it's this platform that you can walk out on and step out. And when you look down, you're 103 stories above the ground. You're 1,353 feet above the ground, standing on something that is completely glass, right? Now... Imagine that I go there, and I'm like, not sure that's going to hold me, but I think it's going to hold me. And I step out, and I'm like, oh, it held me. Yes, right? Now, it holds me up. I'm thrilled I don't fall 103 stories to my death, right? Now, imagine that uh, my wife, she's much braver than I am. She's up there, and she's like, oh, cool, that looks awesome, and she just steps right out there, right? Does it, both of us are held by it, right? In this instance, what's the object of our faith? It's that glass thing that's going to hold us, but does the faith that I have in being a little bit trepidatious, a little bit like, is this going to hold me? Does it make a difference whether it holds me? No, it doesn't. Because it's the object of our faith that matters. Now, we'll take somebody else and go, I don't think that's going to hold me. And, I, well, no, it'll probably hold me, but I'm not stepping out on it. Right? Does that person have faith? No. It's not faith until you step out on it. Whether you jump out, you're like, woohoo, this is great. Or whether you're like, wow, okay, it holds me. It's the object of our faith. I want to share with you a verse from the book of Hebrews. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so with that, we say, well, what kind of faith is it that pleases God? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the reverse is, when we act in faith, it pleases God. And what does that kind of faith look like? Because we clearly saw it with the story of the two blind men who were healed. You know, and one of the kind of false notions that we believe about faith is that the, the faith that pleases God is somebody who really believes it, or they really, really, really believe it. Like, really believe it, and then all caps, and then 16-point font, then 44-point font. Like, I really, 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 really believe it. But you see, it's not about the number of reallys that we put before faith, or before belief. It's about the object of our 
faith. And so I want us to talk about that and to understand that. Here's the first thing. Faith that pleases God is not the absence of doubt. Is not the absence of doubt. There's a fantastic story. It's in Mark chapter 9. We're not going to read all of it, but you can read it on your own if you like. But there's a father who comes to the disciples and he wants his son healed of seizures. Uh, but they're not able to do it. And so the man continues on to Jesus uh, and he asks Jesus, says, can you heal my son? Will you heal my son? And here's how Jesus responds. He says, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but I still have some doubts, but I believe. And I love that because I feel like that's a picture of me. Because I believe, but I'm also a doubter. Like there are times when I look around and I go, does this whole thing make sense? I mean, really, like, I'm going to believe in this God who listens to me praying here, walking down my street, but also listening to somebody over on the other side of the river in Charleston, and somebody in China, and somebody, I'm like, he hears all that at the same time. It's a, it's a little weird, right? There, and I have doubts. Or I think about Jesus, like, really, all of my sin is taken care of because a guy named Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And so I sometimes have these kind of doubts that go through my mind. But the reality is, is that what this says is we can still believe even though we have doubts because of this. Is a faith that pleases God is when we act on our faith despite our doubts. A faith that pleases God is not the absence of all doubt, a faith that pleases God says, I'm going to act on the faith that I have. I'm going to step out in faith, even though I have a little bit of doubt with what's going on. Takes us to the second part. Faith that pleases God is acted upon. Faith that pleases God is acted upon. In the book of James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's describing the faith of Abraham and, and acting on it. He points to Abraham and, and the faith that he has where he believed that God could do anything. So he writes this in James chapter 2. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that the faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by works. A faith that pleases God is a faith that is acted upon. A little clarification about the word faith and the word believe. That those two words, sometimes we think they mean different things. Like, are you talking about faith? You're talking about belief. But in actuality, the way that the Bible uses the word faith and belief are almost the same. They come from the same root, root word. The word faith is the word pistis, and the word believe is the word pisteo. In other words, faith is the noun, and believe is the verb. And, and I bring this up because Faith as a noun is really useless unless it is acted upon, and that becomes, I believe. When we believe something, it's acting on our faith. And so when we talk about this, this doesn't mean, what, what James wrote, it doesn't mean that we work for our salvation, 
But what it does mean is to just believe something or to have faith in something without acting on it really doesn't, isn't true faith. You know, we, we could talk about the blind men, right? The blind men, if they were like, man, that Jesus could heal us. I bet if we went and talked to that Jesus guy that he could heal us our blindness. Yeah, I think so too. You think so? Yeah, I think so. You want to go? No. Right? And they just sort of walk by Jesus or they hear him go by or they just say, have mercy on us. And he throws, you know, a denarius in their corner, in their thing. Are they healed? No. Because they didn't act on their faith. I asked you this morning to, to think about where do you want the movement of God? And I would ask you this question. Is there an action that God wants you to take this morning? And they say, yeah, I believe. I, I think I, I have faith. But is there a step that he might be prompting you to, to nudge you to, to step out and actually do what he wants you to do? Here's the third one is faith that pleases God grows wide. Faith that pleases God grows wide. And again, we think about big faith as like, I really, 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 really believe it. Right? But a faith that pleases God is one where we apply faith in more and more areas of our lives. That's why I called it grow wide, that we, we apply faith here, and we apply faith there, and there, and we add it to more and more areas of our lives. That's what pleases God. I'll give you kind of an example. Maybe for a while, and this may be you, this may not be you, but maybe for a while you've said, I believe that God can take care of my finances, right? I trust God, and so I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give 10% to God's work, and I believe, I have faith, I trust that God can allow me to live on the rest and also to be content on the rest. So, okay, I got that. I got that. I live this way. My faith is this way. So if we take this and we say a faith that pleases God grows wide, that means, okay, I trust God in this area, living the way he says, but now I'm going to do it in this other area. That I'm going to have faith that if I forgive somebody, that life is still going to be okay. I'm going to forgive that person and not hold what they did against me. And it works out. Like God's plans worked out. And so then I'm going to take it another way. I'm going to say, I'm going to apply this in my marriage. If I really lived the way that God says, if I believed what God says about marriage, I'm going to live that way. And it works out. I don't get trampled on. It works. And I say, you know what? I'm going to try it again. Over here, this other area where I'm going to really be real with people. Instead of just putting up a front about who, I, who want, people want me to be or who I want to be, I'm going to be real and share my hurts and my struggles and my junk with people. And it works, and it increases the value and the depth of your friendship. And then you take another area, that that's a faith that pleases God, that says, I'm going to apply living by God's principles and truth, living by faith in all of these different areas of my life. Here's the fourth one. Faith that pleases God perseveres. Faith that pleases God perseveres. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
says that faith is when we act in faith even though we don't see the answer, even though it's not clear that God might be working. That's a faith that perseveres. And when that happens, we don't always know why we have to persevere. Or we don't always know why God doesn't answer and come through right away. And we think, well, is the problem that I don't really, really believe? Is the problem with me? Is the problem with God? And we go, why is it not happening? Why is it not happening quick enough? Whatever it is that we're asking for God to come alongside us in this. There's a story that I love. It's earlier in the book of Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to read a couple parts of it. Because this story, I think, has probably helped me more than almost anything else in understanding when I pray for something and ask God to move in some way and God doesn't come through in the way that I want him to come through. So this is a story. It's in Matthew 8. It says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And so the leper, by his actions, is saying, I believe, Jesus, that you can heal me of leprosy. I believe you can make me clean. And then here's Jesus' response. It says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You see, in order for Jesus to heal, two things kind of needed to be present there. There needs to be the ability... And there needs to be the willingness to heal. And so, as, we, as you look at the story, the man came to him and said, I believe that you are able. And then Jesus responds, I am able and I am also willing. Because we, we don't always know if God is willing. There's times when he doesn't answer us and we don't necessarily know. I'll give you a, kind of a, another practical example uh, if you came to me and you said, hey, can I have 20 bucks? I would say to you, I have 20 bucks. I am able to give you $20. What do you want to spend it on, right? And I might give you $20 depending on whether I like you, whether I don't like you, whether I thought you were going to spend it on something good or something not good. But I have the ability, me, to give you $20, right? I might be willing, I might not. Now, if you came to me and you said, can I have $5 million? Because if I had $5 million, then I had this special solution. I could solve the war in Ukraine. I would give you $5 million to do that. But I don't have $5 million. I don't have the ability to do that. Right? I might have the willingness, but I don't have the ability. And so when Jesus asked the question, do you believe that I can do that? We're answering that question based on, do you believe that he has the ability to do that? I believe that Jesus healed a bland man. I believe that Jesus can heal a marriage. I believe that he can heal cancer. I, can believe, I believe that he can rescue somebody from an addiction. I believe that he can take away my doubts. But what I don't know is if he is willing. And so the story of the leper helps me to process that, to know that the the leper said, I believe that you can do this. Are you willing? And in that case, Jesus says, I am able, you do have faith, and I am willing. And there's going to be times in our lives where we say, I believe that you are able 
to do this. I believe I have faith. But God doesn't answer that. And we don't know why. Sometimes we know. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes it's later. Sometimes it's no. We don't know why. But our part is I can believe, I can pray with all faith. I believe that God can heal this cancer. I believe that God can heal this child. I believe that God can. Right? Because it's the object of my faith. It's not the amount of faith that I have. And so I believe that God, but what I don't know, and what we don't always know, is if God is willing. And sometimes he's willing, and sometimes he's not. And when he's not, that can be hard. But it's not because we don't believe that he can when we come in that kind of faith. I want to return to the question at the beginning. Do you believe that I am able to? What goes in that blank for you? Do you believe that I am able to? I want to close this morning in a little bit of a different way. Um, if I can ask all of you to stand, and I just want to pray over you this morning. If I could ask you to stand and to bow your heads and just to receive this prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for each person in this room, each person watching online, that we would place our faith in you, that we would believe you in more and more and more areas of our lives, that our faith would grow in that way. And God, I pray for those folks who are struggling with doubt, that we would cry out like that father did, I believe, help my unbelief. And God, I pray that you would help us, help each person here to act in faith, to persevere in faith, even when it's hard, even when it's frustrating, even when we don't see a clear answer, that we would continue to persevere in faith. And then in that, help each person here, help myself as well, to trust you when we don't get the answer that we want. Even though it's not what we would choose, but we trust that you have all things under control. God, allow us, enable us to leave this room and to act in faith, to believe you for all things in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.